Hello, everyone, and welcome to the third episode of London's Prince. Um, I hope everyone enjoyed their weekend. I have been a little MIA the last couple of days. I figured I'd take a break away from anything marketing, selling, or even promoting the book. Um, Just finishing the book, you think, is like the difficult part about it. But to be honest with you, it's actually getting the attention that it deserves and marketing to the people that it should be marketed to. So took a little break, um, went to New York over the weekend um, for an overnight, really had a great time. And I practically just rested yesterday. So um, I did exactly what it says in the Bible. Take your Sundays to take a rest. And um, I feel like I'm ready to proceed with this uh, podcast. So I wanted to go in a little bit further about the book and give people some insight or just a little details about London's Prince that I did not talk about in the first two episodes. And this will be something as like a keynote for people who just either received their book or um, is interested in purchasing it. So not only is the book consist of a compilation of short stories as I have said in our previous podcast sessions, but also the book is broken down in three different sections. So London's Prince, of course, is the memoir that I had recently recently released. I always get tongue-tied saying that. Recently released in September. Um, The book is doing pretty well for it to be my first book um, and for people to not know me at all. And... Uh, so like I said, it's it's a compilation of store stories that I have chopped down into three different sections. So in the book, you'll notice um, some of the chapters have uh, French in it, which uh, French is a language that I connected with in high school. Uh, I remember my mom telling me, why are you taking French when Spanish is going to be the prominent language um, or the bilingual language that most jobs are going to want you to have? And there was something about the French language that I immediately connected to. Not only was it because it's the love language, but it was just something about the language that to me just was beautiful. Uh, Little did I know, uh, I did my ancestry DNA and came to terms or came to find out that primarily all of the African continents that I am genetically connected to all our French-speaking countries. So I am 30% Cameroonian. Um, I also have uh, Ghana. And um, I believe there was... I forgot there was the other one. But um, yeah, so I have... Oh, Côte d'Ivoire. So Ivory Coast. So anyways, yeah, so I have this love of the French language. And not only that, but my ex-husband, who is a Haitian man... Um, is also connected to the French language, which kind of got me uh, a little bit stronger in my connection to the understanding of it uh, because of the Creole that I was around for almost 10 years. So, but anyways, like I said, so the book is broken down into these three different sections. So the three different sections um, are obviously um, prepared in French. And so the first section is Avant London, which Avant in French means before. The middle chapter is Amour London, which means love and London. 
which is very interesting because a lot of people don't know, but before I decided to name Micah, Micah, the Bible name, I actually was going to name him Amor, which is love. And the last um, section, Après London, uh, which obviously means after London. So a lot of the stories I started writing uh, when I was working in corrections at a jail facility. I would work in main control and send myself emails, jot down notes, write in a journal. Um, and so that's where my ha writing had began. And then a lot of my writing came along when I started the blogging process. And then that's when London's Prince had definitely channeled into a actual book. Um, the reason why I wrote it uh, in that manner of the three different sections, because for one, three is a very uh, interesting number. Um, it's the Holy Trinity. Um, it's completion. And also, which I didn't do this on purpose, um, but also the three different sections is like, it was before my son, there was my life that came before him. There was my life and my emotions that came during my process of going through giving birth to him and the experience of what it was like without him. And also my life after going through the healing process and trying to go on about my life um, after the loss of my first son. So there's so many different things that factor into a healing process because we need to understand where the person originally come, comes from. What was their circumstances prior? Because even though this is a traumatic event, there could have been a lot of trauma that occurred with that person prior that could be the icing on the cake for them and it could be really hard for them to heal as expected um, or heal or actually learn the lesson at best. Uh, so it's better to have a bigger picture of the overall understanding of it. And also there's a, such a difference in my writing. So a lot of people are reading it and they come to me with questions and I find it so funny because in a lot of the different chapters, you'll notice the growth in my perspective. And that's one of the key things that I wanted to take heed when it came to me writing this book. A lot of people are like, wow, six to seven years, that's a long process. Well, guess what? You know what? It gave me a lot of time to change my perspective about the situation. And what I mean by this is that although some of my writing, of course, does sound like I'm very angry, does sound like I'm very bitter, does sound like um, I was frustrated, and yes, those emotions did appear and I will de not deny them, nor will I feel guilty for having them. However, those emotions were necessary for me to get at a sense of peace and forgiveness with a lot of people that were in my life at that time and people that are in my life still today. So today and in this episode, I wanted to focus on one chapter and... Not to focus just solely on that chapter, I'm going to go into that chapter, but it's going to be the primary focus for this discussion on this podcast. And the reason why I wanted to talk about it is because I think the term is used so loosely that a lot of people really don't understand that there's so much work that goes into it. And I was going to read like 
you know, an audio book, like I said, because I wanted to combine like an audio book as well as a discussion. But I am going to skip around chapters because I do want to keep this podcast juicy. And to give you guys, you know, some really good insight onto what the hell I was thinking in my process of writing that. So I am going into the following chapter, but this podcast today, the title is called Sorry. I had to take a silence for a second because a lot of people are like, I hear that word so very often. And it's like, to be honest with you, I'm one of those people that apologize for everything. I would say sorry for being in someone's way. I would apologize for everything. Just absolutely everything. Sorry, 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 sorry. Um, Sorry is a form of insecurity. Sorry, you know, when you're saying it continuously, like apologizing for certain things, um, it really uses its val- loses its value. Um, but yes, today's title of the podcast is Sorry. And I want people to understand that sorry, just like love and just like any other action term um, to apologize, whatever it is, um, all those things require work. And not just work on the person's party that is actually saying the actual term, but primarily from the person that's receiving it. So we think sorry is the gift. And then the person on the other end is the receiver. Now we think, oh, a person gives a gift and then they just receive it. Well, no, because once you pass on that gift and you receive, when somebody passes on a gift and you're the receiver to it, when you're receiving, your job is to show gratitude and to whatever gift it was to appreciate it, appreciate the thought and handle it with care. And so this is not always the case, but I'm just using kind of like a picturesque example of it. But I want people to understand that there is work behind the word sorry. And uh, the term is used so loosely. We hear it in songs, every R&B song you can think of. Somebody's apologizing about their wrongdoing. And I really wanted to go in depth with it. What situations I was going through at the time. And um, to give some people some a different perspective about when they receive that gift of a sorry. And is it really a gift or can it be a curse? So, but before I decide to go into the sorry chapter... I'm going to start with Sun and Moon, which was the following chapter chapters to my last podcast in podcast two, which was freedom of speech. So Sun and, Move, Sun and Moon gives you some insight into my the beginning phases of my relationship and how I identified that there was a huge difference between my ex-husband and I. So we all know and identify before going into a relationship a lot of the red flags, not just red flags. Um, it could be inconsistencies, incompatibility. There's a lot of things that we identify with, but sometimes we're blinded by our extreme desire or need for attachment aside from the fact of, is this person really an asset or beneficial to me in the journey that I am going on? And not to say that my ex-husband wasn't, because to be honest with you, if it wasn't for him um, and my experience with him, um, I would not be where I am today. 
um, I may have been on another journey. However, uh, in a relationship with him and me experiencing the divorce and everything else, he has taught me to love myself. I was forced to. Um, so I'm extremely grateful for that. And it took me a while to respect that and to understand uh, what my relationship was with him and the trauma that I had went through with him, the emotional abuse, um, some physical. And I needed to identify what my issue was. Why was I so afraid to let that relationship go? And what was my attachment to it? Why did I consider or con consistently call it love when it really wasn't love? It was a toxic form of love. And, and what was my background behind it? And why did I think that I deserve this, whether consciously and unconsciously? So... The best way to describe our relationship, I wrote it in uh, the chapter Sun and Moon uh, because this, is, this came later on when my perspective of our situation had changed, falling in and out of love with this man and having that connection of a child. And I think as a woman, a lot of times we go into relationships and we fall in love and then we have a child. And we believe that some women do, you know, believe that having a child would make the relationship stronger. However, that's not the case. And um, we don't realize that in a way we're creating this toxicity or creating a path of it because we're incorporating a child now into our own confusion. And whatever the relationship was at that time, um, if it was toxic and it was confusing and it was, uh, you know, stressful, all that stuff is going to remain the same. And if not, it's heightened because a child has now been added to it. And not only that, but now another innocent person is exposed to this toxicity. So to better understand this. It took me a while to understand that just because my spouse was toxic in adding certain things into my life that I thought were negative, he is on his own journey. And we have to understand that everybody is on their own journey and that they may not be evolving at the same pace as you. And you kind of have to respect that but it doesn't mean that you have to partake in that experience with them, especially if it's it's eliminating you or stopping you from progressing and evolving as you should without them. Because it could be dream crusher, crushers. They could be dream crushers. They could be literally taking the life away from you with every negative, you know, negative comment that they're saying to you so you have to be mindful of your experience and understand that you can love people from a distance and so in sun and moon it was really important for me to write because I wanted people to understand that even though his negativity and the experience that I had with him was not beneficial for me um it was very traumatic but it doesn't mean that 
his experience is no less. And it does not mean that his life is no less. He has the ability to evolve and hopefully he does seek light at some point. But he has a decision that he has to make on his own. However, on my path, I understood that I loved him regardless in his darkness and in light. And I love him for the person that he has kind of helped me to evolve to become. And I love him for helping me create the best piece of artwork. And that is my son. And I think a lot of time people think that love has to just be an intimate form of love where you're in love with someone. And that is not what I mean. What I mean by love is that I have love for his being and his purpose and respecting him for the the life or the parts that he partaked in my life. And I do wish him well and wish love and light in his life and his experience. So in this chapter, I'm going to go into sun and moon. And I'm going to just, you know, I briefly already talked about it. I can't wait to talk about sorry. And what are some of your experiences? Do remember that you can uh, send me voice messages with questions that you may have. Um, about some of the readings, some of the chapters, or even some of the comments that I've made. So feel free to leave a voicemail uh, or your questions, and I would love to answer them. So this is Sun and Moon. We didn't see eye to eye on many things, but the ocean was not one of them. I was the sun and he was the moon. During the sunset, when the moon would rise over the ocean, this was the only time we would connect. We would only connect when the ocean was between us. A lot of people are not aware of this side of us, but water brought us closer together. One of our first dates was at Lake George, and we spent many summers on beaches all over the East Coast. The sun and the moon are rarely out at the same time, as they both had different purposes. So did we. We would spend hours on a beach soaking in the rays of the sun and being cleansed of the salt water. Every dip in the ocean, our connection was reborn. We were free to be ourselves, free to be in love. Our ocean visits allowed us to put our differences aside, our differences and reality behind. The ocean reminded us of how we fell for each other. Two different souls from two different worlds coming together for the purpose of love. The very thing that united us was a reminder of the good and bad in all. The moon provided us with the light, not just as bright as the sun. So does that make the moon any less important to the universe? And so a lot of people didn't realize this about my relationship, but um, one of the things that we used to do, we, we would argue and um, not talk to each other maybe for a couple of days. And then especially if it's the summertime, um, he would either mention or I would either mention, hey, let's take a trip to the beach. And once we got to the beach, it was like we fell in love all over again. Something about us being close to water helped us to really reunite. And the water and the ocean played such a significant piece in our relationship. What I mean by two differences. First of all, I'm a black American woman. I grew up in Springfield, Massachusetts. I was born and raised there. I really didn't travel very much aside from, you know, going to uh, places in the U.S. Um, 
around the East Coast, going to Florida, South Carolina, stuff like that to visit family growing up. However, I did get into traveling a lot more as I grew up as an adult. And here I was, I ended up marrying a man from Port-au-Prince, Haiti. A Haitian man, very family tradition, um, just very, their family is just like unbreakable. Um, and what I mean by two different sides is because culturally things were very different. Um, he grew up in a household where the man goes to provide, the woman cooks, cleans, takes care of the children. The family is just, you know, they know so much about each other. They're very supportive, whether in good and bad, sometimes it's a little too much, but, um, you know, I think the family dynamic is what really sparked my interest and his love and sacrifice for them. Um, however, of course, I know many people know Port-au-Prince Haiti is a very poor stricken country. I was in a relationship with him when the earthquake occurred where so many people had passed away. Thank God not a lot of his family members um, were hurt. But it affected him because the spirit of Haiti, the his people and his culture were affected. And um, there are spiritual and religious differences. Um, he grew up Catholic. I grew up Christian. Um, and just the dynamics were so, so different. Uh but we came together because it was kind of like we bounced each other. It was like yin and yang, and I'm going to go into it. So uh, myself, like I said, I grew up in a single parent home. I did visit my father every weekend. Um, I did have a relationship with him. Didn't have much of a great family dynamic as far as my family being close knit. But we did spend and we time together and we did have uh, traditions that we had together. Now, as far as money-wise, my mom was very, pretty much a very well-off single woman. She worked hard to provide for me and my brother, and it was primarily me for a very long time. So that was never an issue. However, um, you know, there was just a lot of different things that I grew up around that he didn't. And so it was kind of like I had the desire for love. Because that was emotionally, I felt like a lot of my family members were bankrupt. And they were just going about living life, just taking care of daily tasks the best that they knew. But they were emotionally bankrupt. And with his family, it was money-wise. So I truly, honestly believe that the very things that we lack as a child, we desire them and we focus on them as adults. Those become our primary focuses. And so... When I wanted to get married and when I wanted to fall in love, I wanted to have that family dynamic that I did not have. And he was looking for financial stability and to look for a family unit. But however, his main focus was I need financial stability and I want that in my family. So, but anyways, back to the ocean like I said, we would argue whatever. I mean, there was times where we actually were even separated. We would take a bit uh, a trip to the ocean and it was like a way of us to co-parent with my son um, and to not have any arguments and just really have a good time. And we both had the purest intentions, even though like or the views and ways that we seen things or our behaviors 
they were just so different. But uh, yeah, so the opposites did attract. We kind of like connected in that manner. And I had to take a look outside of myself and respect the behaviors. I don't have to accept them, but I have to respect where he had came from. And to be honest with you, a lot of people don't understand this, but hurt people hurt people. And whether it's hurting someone physically, emotionally, um, we all have a dark aspect of us, a yin and yang within us, because if it wasn't a lot of women, they complain about the men that they're in relationships with, or maybe been in a relationship with, but they need to realize that there was something within them that attracted that experience. And I attracted that experience with him because of my own insecurities and things about me that I needed to work out within myself. So I really wanted to touch base on that and give people some insight about, you know, what we use in our relationship to kind of to like reconnect. So um, that really tied me to my desire. I felt connected to the ocean. I, I am not. Well, I was born a black American, so I didn't know too much about where I came from. And obviously with my desire for the ocean, the sun, um, that ignited my Caribbean background um, and African ancestry that I had to identify with or learn more so about as an adult. So I am going to go into the sorry chapter. Sorry, sorry, sorry. The term that we always sit and wait for. Now, sorry is the term that I was talking about that people use so loosely. And I do honestly believe that unconsciously a lot of people are sitting, waiting around to hear the person that may have done them wrong to actually say this term. And something so simple, something that is, you know, five letters, you know, this one little word so many people are just waiting to hear it to start their forgiveness process. And to be honest with you, it's something that needs to be done before. However, even though it needs to be done before, um, I really, true, honestly believe that we all want this sense of the person holding accountability for their behaviors. And then we have this timeline in which we expect it. Like, you know, oh, this person should know by this time that they wronged me or whatever the case may be. But I'm going to go into this and I'm going to tell you exactly what occurred around this time when I finally heard sorry. Sorry is a term that I loosely use for my insecurities. And to be honest, the reason I use it is because it appears to work or ease complicated situations. I am the girl that apologized for just about everything. I even apologize for others' mistakes just to make the other person feel better about their behavior in the situation. Yes, I carry the burden and the weight on my shoulders, but never fully understood the term and why it is used so loosely. There are countless songs using the term as a title to express sympathy for another, or as Bryson Tiller would put it, sorry, not sorry. Phrases to sugarcoat the fact that you could really care less to sympathize for another. 
Yet many of us yearn for the day to receive this one-worded expression to be left with more healing and understanding amongst ourselves. The term sorry is defined as a feeling of distress, especially through sympathy with someone else's misfortune. My question is, what if the misfortune was caused by the person now sympathizing? Is sorry a word created to compensate an untaken evaluation of one's own insecurities and responsibilities? Is it a way of smoothing things over? This term is used across all relationships, whether coworkers, parents, and children, and especially intimate relationships. Or is it a way for one to finally let someone know they have acknowledged their behavior? The events leading up to the term being loosely used can be extremely emotionally costly. Costly enough to leave you questioning its value and the lack of fairness in regards to what each party may have lost. I am recently divorced as of September 2016, but the relationship was rocky for a very long time. Possibly it was rocky from the day it started. I saw the signs of heartbreak, but believed that my love could potentially change him. Well, I was wrong. Fast forward two children later in a marriage of four years, he left me for one of my previous campers. Yes, I was her camp counselor. A year and some change after splitting and ugly court proceedings, I began picking myself up from where he left me. This was one of my lowest points of my life. I gained my strength and independence back and finally got back on my own two feet. Six months after the divorce, I have graduated from my undergrad, started grad school, bought my first home, traveled to DR and Disney for Christmas, all done in the span of six to eight months of me focusing on me. During the whole time, I just wanted him to acknowledge his wrongdoings. Actually, I just wanted to hear the word sorry. A few weeks ago, the sorry came and it went. The heavens did not open up and the angels did not come pouring down singing as I had hoped for. I knew it took a lot for him to say the word, but I don't think he realized the blood, sweat, and tears it took me to be able to accept his word. His word sorry led to my action of evaluating me and continuing the healing process. As I'm always known for saying, at the end of the day, don't wait for the word sorry. Apologize to yourself and begin the appropriate actions to change your frame of mind. We are responsible for our own actions and we play a tremendous role in how others treat us. Sorry is not the end. It is the beginning of the forgiveness process and it all starts with you. The word doesn't make the pain disappear. It is an acknowledgement that something hurts you. I will take my sorry payments and actions from now on. So I know that's a tough pill to swallow and a lot of people are probably like, wow, like, you know, I know exactly how that feels. But if you've ever been through a breakup, which a lot of people have, some heartbreak, a divorce, um, you know, a parent doing something um, to you when you were a child that took them a very long time to actually apologize for. And it's like you unconsciously were waiting for them to say it because you wanted them to acknowledge that they were wrong. And then you realize, hmm, the angels didn't come down singing when he said sorry or she said sorry. I don't feel this huge sense of relief off of me. 
what's going on? How come I don't feel like I expected that I was going to feel when they said that one word, sorry? And I think I came to terms with the fact that it wasn't their work that was required. It wasn't their work. It wasn't just them telling me the sorry. It was me being mindful of my emotions towards the situation. So to make a long story short, we were divorced uh, about a year or so, a year and a half. Um, He was well into his uh, relationship with my, the camper that I, yes, the camp, the young lady that I was her camp counselor. And um, they were well into their relationship. It was about a year or so. And I had just bought a house, uh, you know, did all the out, outward glow up. And I was just really doing me. My bank account was looking great and everything was looking great. I was looking great, taking care of myself. And it was like I was doing the outside work, but I was not working on the inside. And everything looked great. Micah was doing well in school. Um, He started coming over and spending some time with us um, as like a, you know, unit where he was co-parenting. Great conversation. We were able to talk about Micah, make sure that Micah had everything that he needed. Um, And it was like one day he had said to me, you know, I apologize. You're such a good woman. I should have never done, you know, the things that I've done to hurt you. And I was, I don't know what I was doing. I think I was like cleaning up or something like that. He may have been dropping something off for Micah. Uh, and I could not, to be honest with you, if you would have caught me two years ago, I would have been ecstatic to actually hear that. But at that point in time, it was like, really? Really? Is is sorry enough to compensate for all the things that you had done and what I had to do to clean my life up? But then that was where I was then. And now that I look at it, it's like he can say whatever he wants to say. He could be on whatever journey, whatever path that he needs to say. But me as a woman now... When you become so secure within yourself and you've done your own process of healing, you don't need to hear anybody's five-letter words to confirm to you what type of treatment you deserve because you'll be demanding that. Don't get me wrong. We are all going to attract experiences that may require somebody to apologize for their behavior. It's bound to happen. This is life. But... When you're so secure in yourself and you're so insecure, you're so secure about your path and what you're doing and your intentions, the apologies are just a confirmation of the work that you've already started. I'm not going to own that person's behavior because it was not about me. I am not going to own that person's cheating because it was not about me. That was a decision that they made on their self. And in a way, I need to say thank you because if with my codependent behaviors and my attachment to that relationship, I would have never took the time to build a community that I have now here in Pennsylvania. 
I was so focused on so many other things that look at how much I got to accomplish detaching myself of the outcome of what that relationship was going to be. When I invested and attached to myself and committed to me. So on this episode and to close it, I just want people to understand that sorry is not the gift. Sorry is the gift from the person that you will receive. But the true gift is what you do with that. What gift are you giving yourself? Are you starting that healing process? Are you taking the time to gift yourself your sense of inner peace before any five-letter word is spoken to you? Show gratitude for the person saying sorry because I know it took him a lot to come out to apologize for something that he then had acknowledged. I respect that because it takes people a lot to apologize. And it also takes a lot for the person to receive it and to actually heal from that already. Show your gratitude and move on through evolving and becoming the best version of you. Thank you for listening to London's Prince. See you next episode.